Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Reinsurance Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm Ben Rose. Good to see you, sir. Thank you very much. I've, I've just knocked my microphone ever so slightly. It's like wobbling <laughs> indefinitely. No, it stopped. There we are. The shortest and most exciting tangent to date. To <laughs> we'll do better next time. More tangents to come. Brilliant. But this, uh, you wanted to discuss sort of very sort of current uh, current uh, affairs sort of topic this time. Current affairs. We're gonna. That means we can trend in the current affairs category yeah. on various podcasting sites, as well as the mental health and mm. zone out and so on. <laughs> the great music category. <laughs> Indeed. We'll start to move into business and current affairs. How do we hack the Spotify algorithm? Is the uh, is the new objective? Indeed. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so actually, kind of a, a sad current affair, which mm. is maybe the the word that is used most frequently with current affairs at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we couldn't find a good one to talk about in a, yeah. lot of, a lot of faces. So let's have a look at how the current global economic environment is impacting the various stakeholders in reinsurance land. Mm-hmm. And quite specifically, I guess, the, the word that we're seeing thrown around now is the word recession, mm-hmm. uh, which most of us who've been around have seen one of these before. Uh, they're not pretty. They're followed, though, by a a boom afterwards, we, we mm-hmm. hope, uh, but possibly a bit differently in the past because I think with this example, obviously there's a lot going on right now. I, I don't know if you want to highlight any of the things around the world that's driving this, Jared. But yeah, I mean, y- you have the very obvious conflict in the middle uh, in Ukraine. You have sort of the spike in gas prices as a result of that. You have um, all manner of inf- of it, inflation um, across both the U.S. and the U.K., which I feel recessions in those two economies push a lot of other sort of global impact because it impacts trade and, and all manner of other things. So um, it's driving a, a big shift in in kind of in kind of outlook and, and confidence, you know, economic, economic confidence that uh, the consumers have. So um, I think people are really bracing for this to be quite uncomfortable for a couple of years. Yeah, and I think I think part of the reason, as you as you said, there is we're we're seeing. I guess some kind of monetary policy responses that mm-hmm. are not uh, quite up to the task in some ways, right? Because of having had interest rates sit so low mm-hmm. for so many years, I and then suddenly, you know, quite recently seeing really high inflation. So taking the UK as it's the market I'm most familiar with, you know, we're seeing in May and, and June of this year inflation of like ten percent, for example, and then coming from a a base of interest rates of like 0.75 percent yeah i i think they they got increased by andrew bailey to like one percent yeah in response to that and it's it's not really proportionate in in terms of the the scale of of impact that you'd hope yeah. one of those things had but, but everyone's having to be really careful i uh, the usual stimulants that you'd try and supply to the economy just aren't going to be able to keep up yeah well and i think we way. started off from a bad position following the the pandemic like we were starting from a like very lower negative base around had had countries been investing in and building up debt to offset the challenges they faced the the economies faced in the recession or in the um, in the pandemic and now you add on top the global conflicts and electricity and oil, gas prices and everything else so now as you're saying you were looking at this was going to have a bit of a pain point anyway and it's been sort of worsened as we're trying to wrestle with everything else. But yeah, you're right. You you come from historically low interest rates and things. So, 
now we're now we're trying to wrestle with what is the future what does the next sort of few years look like yeah and and i guess i for our listeners who maybe from the industry as much as from outside the industry don't <laughs> who have already his eyes have already glossed over listening <laughs> to the first part of this episode should we should we just go back over some of the key terms we just used and maybe make sure everyone's familiar before we dive deeper into this story i mm. um, maybe I'll, I'll start with inflation mm-hmm. uh, we hear about it all the time but what is it i i'm gonna hold up my prop of the day which is this exceptionally expensive orange juice <laughs> from the cafe downstairs yeah it, it's the very simple concept that things cost more than they would have done in a sort of dif- like slightly different time horizon obviously it's very easy to look at larger and longer time horizons and get a sense of how prices have changed but inflation is really felt when that shift happens in a more condensed window right if you look at the juice as an example um if the price of juice has gone up 30 percent in a year that's very painful if the price of juice goes up 30 percent over decades every you know the, the cost of living has risen with it um but there's always going to be an element of that sort of just naturally occurring but it's it's when you see it spike more painfully, this sort of cost of living increase that sort of outstrips the income growth and in incomes and everything else, you begin to really wrestle with things cost more than they used to cost. Exactly. And I think the the number that's deemed healthy, or at least the target for in the US and the UK, for example, it tends to be about 2% inflation mm-hmm. per year, so that uh, it's manageable and predictable for everyone how much mm-hmm. prices are going to change. It's easy then to help it fit roughly in line with salary growth and so on yeah. as well. I, what we've found, I guess, I, interestingly here is that some some very, very core elements of our consumer and commercial shopping baskets, I guess, mm-hmm. have been hit, especially by uh, energy. This is one of the biggest categories, right? If you look at fuel prices <laughs> at the moment, I, I went past a petrol station uh, or a gas station. Mm-hmm. I just which is very confusing because we don't call it gas here. Gas is something else. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, we went past one uh, the other day and they they'd gratuitously decided that uh, they'd put both petrol and diesel uh, up to £199.99 uh, per litre, which I thought was still kind of them to show us that it was still under two, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, much in, higher than we've seen. In, in the US, they oftentimes have decimal points to the penny, so it's like... Four pounds fifty point nine. They won't say four pounds fifty one. Four dollars fifty one. They would add this point nine nine tenths of a cent. It's weird. Wow. It's weird. Okay, but in in yeah. I think in the U.S. right now, the average price of of petrol or gas uh, is I think it's five dollars as of today. So if people are tracking when this was, like that's very very high. Um, but then you also had this this introduction. You mentioned um, in the description when you have inflation kind of anchored around two percent um most bigger employers and things you see you you hear with the sort of idea of cost of living raises or cost of living adjustments where every year most jobs um or at least salaried jobs adjust a little bit and and the intention of those little raises every year is to kind of help people calibrate to um the rising cost of living what you've seen more recently is the introduction of stagflation as kind of a concept, which is not only are we having inflation happening where cost of living is going up, but a stagnant economy that sort of sits next to that, underneath that. So people aren't expected to get raises. People aren't expected to get more. 
um, take take home more money, but the cost of all of their goods and services is going up, which, again, is making this a very difficult time for uh, a lot of consumers. Absolutely, and I think going into you know the predicted recession now, mm-hmm. I we will probably see, in fact, jobs being lost in many sectors, and you know that's already been reflected in stock price falls around the world, uh, where these big employers are seeing that their value is not going to be what they thought it was and therefore mm-hmm. that has a consequent impact on the amount that they can invest in people and, and so on so yeah. I we, we will come on to the knock-on effects I, on insurance and reinsurance uh, in a moment but I just wanted to finally touch on interest rates as well because we mm-hmm. talked about that basically what we see happening here is uh, the sort of key holders of monetary policy say the, the Bank of England here and the Federal Reserve in the US and other similar institutions around the world controlling effectively the the borrowing rates uh, that can be used by other banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what this effectively enables them to do is to influence how much uh, con- consumers and businesses uh, are, are willing to spend versus how much they're incentivized to save. And they try and use this to stimulate economies where needed or to encourage people to save where needed in response and, and as we were saying at the beginning I typically when you see inflation rising interest rates are put up as well to try and mirror that but uh, it's not currently comparable I think just yeah. because those interest rates have been anchored yep. so low over the past few years yeah but this wouldn't be the reinsurance podcast if we were to ignore what this means for the industry one of the the things that's often discussed with reinsurance and why it's an interesting asset class is this idea that it's a non-correlated asset class. And I wondered if you could dive into that, what that means a little bit for the for the audience. Yeah, so when we talk about correlation here, we're talking about whether a set of things are expected to behave in a similar way. Uh, the things, in this case, being... Uh, usually prices or the the value of something. Um, Now, in the case of most companies and most businesses, they are very tightly tied to the economies that they operate within because their customers, whether they're corporate or consumer, uh, tend to spend less on their services or or similar if they're in a recession than they would during an optimistic growth period. So typically all of those stocks suffer during a recession. Um, If you look, though, at a different type of value and you're valuing the risk of something, so so with a stock, so with a a corporate stock, you're valuing the risk of that company's future success or future failure in the price that you assign to that stock. If you're looking at the value of pure risk uh, in the sense of will an event happen, you start to be able to explore uh, insured or sometimes less insured events by talking about, for example, natural catastrophes and saying, how likely is it that the wind will blow or that a hurricane will pass through this particular set of states in the US or that an earthquake will occur in California? And those types of things are not impacted by the prevailing economies in terms of whether or not they will happen. So for that reason, we call them non-correlated assets and if you're able to set up vehicles be it through uh, an equity base of you know relying on insurance companies who rely very closely on those types of things you can use that but there's also debt instruments that focus 
specifically mm -hmm. on that, like catastrophe bonds, uh, insurance-linked securities more generally, that try to give uh, people who want to invest in risk uh, the opportunity to get exposure to these non-correlating asset classes. So if your portfolio as an investor or a pension fund or anybody really uh, contains mostly stocks, mm -hmm. then during a recession, those that your portfolio is going to reduce in value most likely. Yeah. However, if you've got a bit of non-correlating insurance risk in there, then the probability is that those prices will will stay the same on the same trajectory that they were on, regardless of how the economy is performing. Yeah. Uh, although there is a caveat here, <laughs> <laughs> which is that uh, this is why we want to talk a bit about inflation at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, let's say that hurricane that happens regardless of how the economy is performing. If that hurricane blows through and inflation is high, mm -hmm. then the cost of paying the claims for that hurricane is going to be higher. So yep. That's one example to think about. Secondly, if there's a recession taking place and a hurricane blows through, people generally are going to have less money and are likely to lean more to potentially fraudulent insurance claims, for example, if they haven't got the spare money to pay for uh, something here or there, or even they just need to get money and so they find a way to suggest that a claim has happened that might not have happened otherwise. Uh, so there's quite a few ways that this supposedly non-correlating asset class can actually mm -hmm. uh, trigger some of these insurance claims. And it's only in some very clinical parametric covers, I think, where we've seen it not based on indemnity, mm -hmm. that you can get that true pure insurance risk. Uh, yeah. Indemnity being the, con the concept in insurance of putting someone back in their original place, mm -hmm. uh, which takes prices into account versus whether something happens or not being the primary driver yeah. of whether you're effectively going to be impacted by the economy. Yeah, and you you have this this process where there's always an element of that being of that being linked up. And I'm sure you'll have economists from like Munich Re and Swiss Re who have really spent a lot of time diving into what is the increase in things like fraud during certain economic recessions and and, and hardships and things, um, because everything is is so interlinked, it can't be one hundred percent non correlated. But in much the same way that you'd diversify any traditional portfolio, you'd have some of your investments in sort of technology stocks and other investments in, you know, big institutions or Fortune five hundreds or just general market trackers. This idea that certain parts of that market might be more volatile than others or respond more significantly to certain events than others, this is another sort of vehicle that they're linked. There's a bit of a connection, but it's loosely coupled, um, which makes it an attractive one where they can look at it going, I mean, we know there's some link, but it's not so tightly coupled that you're, you're stuck if, it, if something were to go off. Yeah, and, and you could argue in some ways that actually in insurance as a... An industry on the equity side is actually doubly linked to the economy in some ways, so even more so because, as we talked about with Harold on the, the corporate strategy episode, mm -hmm. a lot of insurers effectively use insurance premiums, so the policies paid for by their customers, uh, to create a float mm -hmm. of a big fund, basically a big pool of, of premium uh, that can be then used as a vehicle for investment. So it's with this big pool of 
of premium, uh, they are able to invest in a variety of things, which probably will be quite strongly correlated uh, to the economy. However, actually, this is quite an interesting piece because most insurance companies want to be very sure mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that they're able to pay out claims. So they tend not to have very large proportions of their investment portfolio in riskier assets. So you won't see many insurance companies with huge stock portfolios. They mm -hmm. tend to focus more on very predictable things like government bonds, yep. uh, where you know often the inc the yields on those bonds are fixed and yep. known, so they know exactly how much they're going to earn from holding those bonds, and they don't have to worry about the risk of default as much, mm -hmm. uh, unless you know of course the government's collapse, which is <laughs> a, a very difficult scenario. But they'll, they'll tend to have a much safer portfolio of assets. Uh, which, again, for the, the very advanced listeners out there, you'll probably be familiar with what then starts to happen with uh, bond prices depending on interest rates because if those yields are greater than the yields from interest rates versus or not, that can also have quite an impact on uh, how the the bonds that you hold are priced and so on, which, inter again, can affect your, your interest, uh, so your investment return uh, as, as an insurer, which might be there to prop up that non-correlating part of the insurer's book, which is, did the claims happen or not? Yeah. Unless, of course, those claims were affected by inflation and by <laughs> fraud and all these other factors. Well, and and you look at it, and, and there is this sort of liquidity, liquidity that sits across the entire value chain. But at, if you think about, in a very traditional business, business sort of structure, when you have traditional insurers and backed by traditional reinsurers, the market feels relatively stable in that way. But when you, when you introduce third-party investment vehicles as a source of capital as to pr pr provide reinsurance capacity, now you've, you've introduced an asset class that people sometimes move that money elsewhere. And if, if the investment that's being put in that's deployed as reinsurance capacity is, is taken out and deployed into other parts of the market or elsewhere, that reduces the supply side of reinsurance capacity, which has these sort of knock-on effects. So whilst it's protected to some degree and there's an interest in this being a stabilized, stabilizing area to attract that investment, if that investment leaves, you see a supply and demand shift to some degree, which kind of has this knock-on effects. So, and, and to continue the knock-on effects, yeah. it's quite interesting. So you, you have then potentially driven by a recession, you have, as you say, exit of capital from mm -hmm. unprofitable uh, insurance assets of some kind, which reduces supply of capital potentially, mm -hmm. uh, which then means that arguably prices can go higher. There's less competition, so a harder market, so prices increase. Plus, you're finding that your claims are likely to be more expensive than you charged for because of the inflation, the likely inflation of claims since you collected your premiums. Thus, in order to strengthen reserves, the insurers that still remain, or the reinsurers that still remain, have to put up their prices, which in turn then means that consumers and businesses face higher insurance prices, which means their overall basket of goods increases, which drives inflation, mm. uh, and, yeah. and so on, right? So you end up then uh, very easily getting into, and this is just a very insurance and reinsurance example, but in an, a vast array of seg segments across the market, you end up finding uh, the risk of quite vicious, vicious circles or vicious cycles. Cycles. <laughs> With no confidence in that answer. <laughs> well, one of those things. But I, I, you know, really accelerating yeah. the pace of these things. Well, and this is where, and I think that's a really 
great way to frame it because we talked in one of the first episodes about how much of the world insurance touches. But if, if the price of insurance goes up a little bit and you look at the orange juice, how many companies along the, the sort of supply chain that goes from the orange growers to this cup that you're drinking it out of are touched? And if, if the insurance is bumped up a little bit across all those parties, every one of those parties adjusts a little bit to cover their, their basket price, as you were saying. The aggregate effect of that to the very end consumer is is felt sort of in orders of magnitude more because there's a little bit of a bump at every step of the way because everyone has to pay a little bit more for the shipping, a little bit more for the business insurance, a little bit more for the, you know, the the sort of supply chain insurance that's along the way, and so all those little things can can add up and and have an impact on on what we on what we end up paying at the till. So it's it's a it's a very interconnected space. And so then salaries might increase too. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it carries on. Um, wonderful. So one of the other things that we wanted to talk about then is, is I guess, um, what you can do if you're an insurer or a reinsurer going into a recession mm. uh, or a broker for that matter. You know, if you're sat there now and you've seen the warning signs, the writing is on the wall, as they say somewhere. Yeah. What, what should you be thinking about at this point? What, what should you be doing? I think I think it's going to be similar to how many businesses respond. There has to be an element of assessing where your business sits, what the needs are, where costs can be removed. But this is, you know, when you talk about the cost of doing business in our industry, the sort of expense ratio that we have, it doesn't give people a lot of space, um, doesn't give people a lot of space to, to sort of find places to save. Um, but businesses are looking like how do you how do you begin to offset how much um, how much you're expecting to pay in claims or how much you're expecting to raise raise premiums in order to account for things. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of difficulties I think as businesses brace for this, especially in one that's as as essentially critical to um, to the global economies as as this one is. Absolutely. Um, I know we wanted to cover <laughs> one uh, a, a funny claim of the week, but which I want to come on to soon because I know mm. this is a very uh, technically intense episode. Um, but I just wanted to introduce uh, one other com- uh, complicating factor, I guess, which is uh, we haven't really discussed lines of business in this episode mm. as well. So, so obviously, uh, insurers and reinsurers specialize in particular parts of the market so be it motor or cargo or you know homeowners whatever it might be do you see any particular lines being affected more than others potentially by changes in the economic environment Ooh, i I don't i'm sure i'm sure someone who studies this full-time certainly would um like an economist from swiss or munich would would definitely have an opinion on this um I think the one that you're seeing, especially around the, the cost of claims, that's really interesting, is you look at something like motor. Um, cars have gotten vastly more technologically um, capable, where little little minor accidents that previously would have been a couple hundred pounds, a couple hundred dollars to fix, think about a, a rearview mirror or something, those are now very expensive because... There's all manner of sensors and lights and indicators and things built into that. So 
that's one area. I don't think it's directly impacted by the current like inflation piece, but I think perhaps business insurance, like small business insurance might be impacted more. I'm not sure. You'd have to, that's a really interesting mm. thing to think about. Um, is there is an area line of business that you think is going to have more of an impact? I, I mean, there's some smaller ones, I guess, that are you know, not huge. I, well, I mean, they are few few insurance lines are small yeah i in terms of the amount of premium they collect but i i'm aware there's there's a number of lines around income protection for example mm -hmm. you know if we start seeing lots of jobs going then there's a very specific spike in credit those. risk perhaps yeah credit risk is a, a brilliant one as well yeah we'd expect to see more default yeah. in general on any kind of debt i so those are probably more directly affected in that sense i'm in terms of, as you say, cost of claims, it's interesting to think about whether the you think of industries that are very heavy in fuel, for example, like cargo and mm -hmm. aviation and so on. I don't know the extent to which that would affect their insurance if at all. But yeah, I, and then I guess the, the broader category then that came to mind was the long tail market, in the sense that will to what extent will these inflationary I, periods at the moment have a exponential effect yeah. on future claims you know because if you're accounting for claims that come in several years time or aren't discovered for many many years time i those insurers who's re who've reserved you know a few years in advance you know and are now, now experiencing much higher inflation than they priced for yeah uh, that's then potentially a, an area of quite substantial concern this is an area of of real concern for insurers as you said you've you've put aside especially in long tail business um reserves to account for claims that you expect to happen you have enough information and research on your book to know that a certain number of claims are going to come in but if as you're saying the now the expected cost of those claims is 10 15 percent higher than you maybe had planned for it how do you begin to start doubling down in your reserves and, and backing those up to make sure you're protected in case. It's it's a, a, a very stressful time, I'm sure, as they have their teams and their actuaries and stuff working on this. Absolutely. I And so to lighten things up a bit, mm. given we've just covered a very technically uh, challenging concept, I we, we have our claim of the week, which should be quite entertaining yeah. uh, this week, although I have to do my best to put it in a very diplomatic way Okay, uh, and to not upset our listeners at home. <laughs> <laughs> Keep and, it safe for the children. And I don't, I don't have a source for this one. This was one of those rare occasions where insurance made it to the dinner table uh, okay. at a friend, uh, my brother's dinner party the other day, yeah. which was very funny. So um, apparently there's currently a lawsuit in progress in the U.S., mm -hmm relating to a car insurer. Oh, major I did insurer. Have you seen this, this already? Yes. You've already seen it. Okay. <laughs> this would be very NSFW for, exactly, exactly. for the audience. Well, well apparently, let's just put it like this, apparently literally any injury, which mm -hmm. is a broad term, or illness or disease mm -hmm. that you incur whilst in a vehicle, mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing with that vehicle or within that vehicle, apparently it may be covered according to some courts in the u.s so we'll see what happens as that goes yeah. through the higher courts but i've probably said enough for people to use their imaginations but yeah. uh so. yeah apparently apparently motor insurers you're on the hook for whatever people do inside their cars i uh, say so sorry someone about caught that. a disease in a car and the motor insurer is potentially liable yeah which 
It would make underwriting drivers very different if that... <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Can you imagine the policy form changing questions? Yeah. 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 Well, anyway. Yeah. I we shall... This might be one we have to update on later on and, and circle back and determine what when, the, when they rule on this, what happens, because yeah. the knock-on effect of that would be very, very interesting. Yeah. We will examine the mechanics, as yeah. always. Yeah. And a caveat for this episode, neither of us are economists. <laughs> <laughs> I have done, though, actually, the... The wonderful Chartered Insurance Institute set of exams. So many years ago, I did. I'm pretty sure I, yeah, I did. I remember I did the economics module. Yeah. Which uh, my my little <laughs> tangent on this one is. Uh, so I I used to take my exams. Uh, you know, uh, in London, I think all of the CII exams are done in the huge exhibition halls mm. of the Excel Center or something. So they put a thousand young insurance enthusiasts into this room to go and do their exam. I and I found out that actually my hometown uh, in Shropshire was also a registered CII venue mm. because they had a small insurance economy there a long, long time ago. And so I thought, oh, well, I might pop home for the weekend if I can book the exam on a Friday. I, we'll see what it's like. And it turned out they were hosting the exam in this lovely old hotel. And they set out for all the tables, like a white tablecloth, the same as they use for weddings. Mm. I, and put on there, you know, when, when I arrived, they're like, oh, would you like a, a, a drink or something, sir, whilst you do your exam? And they had, like, brought me a coffee and a, a glass of water. And it was about three of us in the entire place, as peaceful as you could imagine. <laughs> um, and, yeah, no, I, I do remember the, econ the economics paper, though, because the uh, <laughs> various curves that had appeared throughout the textbook, mm. I remember thinking, okay, I've, I get the general point, and there's no way they're going to ask me to, like, draw them. Mm. Uh, but that is exactly what happened during the exam. They said, now take out the pencil that you've been asked to bring to this exam and please draw the uh, curve, the the, the, il the elasticity of demand curve or something. And I was like, oh dear, this is going to be bad. Did but fortunately I survived. I did pass. Did you subsequently back. ask for a pencil? <laughs> no, I had, a, I, had a, I was unusually well prepared Good job. for that occasion. So. Yeah. And you're like, I'll never need this again. Fast forward five years to the reinsurance <laughs> podcast. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, that's an interesting point. Though. Maybe that's a good final thing to, to cover on this episode. So um, the, the elasticity, that's quite mm. a confusing, confusing collection of vowels to accommodate. Uh, <laughs> the elasticity of demand for insurance may also change as a result of the changing outlook for the economic environment because... You know, as you look at your basket of goods as a consumer or as a, a business and you're trying to work out what you can afford to save on, potentially the extra insurances that you've bought last year, but maybe you're looking for somewhere to cut costs. Maybe you don't buy them again this year. Or maybe uh, you slightly under-represent uh, the amount of exposure you actually have in order to pay a lower price we've seen. Or a shift towards policy minimums, like in the in the US, like yeah. motor, for example, there's what you're required to carry by the state. A lot of times people purchase a bit more protection, but if, if means are tight, you will cut back in areas that um, you don't feel are as pertinent. Indeed, indeed. With that, what an episode. Whew. Yeah, I'm Thank sure you will be for hanging on to that. Yeah, go away and <laughs> review your, your insurance spending and think carefully about it. Go have a nap after that one. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you, everyone. See you next time.